The 360 on Energy and Carbon, hosted by 360 Energy. On today's episode, we are joined by Gary Holden, Managing Director at Lodestone Energy. Over the last 25 years, he has been President or CEO in a variety of energy companies in New Zealand and Canada. He is a Founder and Managing Director of Lodestone Energy, a solar-based generation company in New Zealand. He has been a leader of energy organizations since the mid-1990s. He has led the development of wind, solar, natural gas, and solar projects in New Zealand, Canada, and Australia. He has been a prominent advocate throughout his career on topics such as market development, deregulation, renewable energy policy, environmental policy, retail energy marketing, and transmission policy. Now let's get into the episode with Gary. Welcome back, Dave, John, and Gary. Really great to be back. Great to be back. Thank you. And I can't wait because we're going to be talking about solar power, which I don't think we have done too much in our past three years on podcasts. So this is we have not. I'm very excited for this one. Okay, well I'm I'm going to kick things off. I'm going to kick them off with a, a little bit. We're talking about solar in terms of solar PV, not solar thermal. And I think that could be another conversation, solar thermal. But looking Mm. at at solar generation, how do you define the efficiency of solar generation? How good is it and how good will it get? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. There's a lot of talk about the efficiency of solar panels. And when they talk about efficiency of solar panels, they talk about the, you know, the amount of radiation hitting a panel and then what? in in terms of uh, energy content and then the science of what comes out the other end. And that tends to be around 17 to 20%, which sounds really low because, you know, a coal plant is 28% efficient. And so, so you kind of think, well, coal must somehow be better. Well, of course it's nonsense because the energy is free and and it's copious. It's, it's, there's a, a, you know, an unlimited supply. We've got this great fusion reactor in the sky that's just pumping out energy for free. And, and so, whether the panel is 17% or 22% or 38%, it doesn't matter. It's more a question of how do you get the free energy and how much does it cost? And that's the first point. I think the second point is solar panel technology, the little wafer that transitions solar radiation into electricity is the same today as it was when they put it on the you know, space shuttle. It, it really hasn't evolved much. Those efficiencies might have been 16 instead of 17 like it it really hasn't changed all that much but but the implementation is changing like the solar farms we're building you know we put them 2.3 meters off the ground they track the sun with a motor they generate electricity from both sides so the solar panel is a bifacial panel and so we're squeezing out energy by bouncing it off the ground and getting the the panel perpendicular to the sun and and all these things are, are, are improving the output of that free energy. But fundamentally, the idea of getting free energy into the grid is all a function of how low a cost can you do it? How, how cheaply can the pilings be? How can the installation be improved? And can the, can the manufacturing plant spit out panel after panel at a better rate than, than it might have before? And, and that story is a fantastic story because uh, over 10 years, it's gone, it's improved 10 times. In an energy transition conversation, a 10x improvement in cost in a 10-year period is, has never happened before. 
We've never seen anything like that. And, and so here we are, we're now, you know, to the hard, you know, good full credit to the hard work of the people in China who, who are really making it happen. The globe can now get energy that's cheaper than grid power that uses free energy. And to me, that's, 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 that's about as close to a technological miracle as we've ever seen. That is interesting on that. I mean, as you say, the energy's free. It's, I suppose, at one level, if we could double the conversion rate, we would, we would, would we have cheaper panels? You know, could we, could we get more from an installation? But I, I think the fundamental point you're making there is don't compare 19, 20% for solar against a, a, a diesel engine at 30% or whatever, because on one you're paying for the fuel and the other one you're not. Yeah. Yeah. The efficiency is an nearly an irrelevant, an irrelevant conversation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you. And John, the not only are you paying for the fuel, but then the question: Are you being charged for the carbon that the fuel actually? Absolutely. Emits? Yes. I mean, that's a little. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Correct. Uh, Gary, so I mean, you are in the thick of things. So, can you explain to our listeners, like, what is the role of solar that? plays in this energy transition. I know, you know, it's been around for a bit, but do you see the growth continuing as we go forward? How, how do you see it playing out? Look, it's it's such an interesting thing because, you know, you know, I live in we're we're developing solar in a country that where land is very very valuable. We don't have we don't have a wide open prairie of land that's, you know, a thousand bucks an acre. It it's very valuable land. It's pretty much all fully productive. And so solar looks like that would be a friction on that idea. And so the first thing we had to do is figure out how do you put solar in areas where land is really valuable. And some of the things I talked about earlier kind of address that. But beyond that point, we, we sort of see it now quite simply that, you know, New Zealand has something like 100 towns or cities. We think every town should have a solar farm on its doorstep. And so if you start to imagine, you know, you, you think about a country with a solar farm out the back of a city or out in the back paddock of a town, and, and then most of the daytime energy that gets consumed in that very little location is free, free, free energy. I mean, it costs money because you build a solar farm, but, it, but it's, it's this free energy concept. And... And if you scattered a solar farm in your mind across any landscape, think about where you live and every town had a big solar farm out back. And, and then the, the job of the regulator, ISO, transmission distribution company operators was to integrate that solar as closely as possible to the daytime demand of those towns and cities. And then, then you say, well, then what's left over? Then what's left over tends to be industrial loads and things that run at night. And that's where hydro and sharing interties between regions and maybe some batteries can start to fill in the blanks. And so it's like turning the model right upside down and starting with the idea that if we didn't know what a combined cycle generator was, we didn't know what a steam boiler looked like, and all we had was solar, wind, and water, what would we do? Well, we would do what I described. You'd actually build local generation. It, it, you, no point in sending solar over long distances. 
The sun is everywhere. We know people live mostly in the daytime and then build your ideas around that concept. And eventually you have solar pretty much in every place on earth because, you know, unless you're in some rainforest somewhere, you, you, you have access to this, this power that's, that's correlated with daytime living and, and air conditioning as well. Like the world's getting hotter. Air conditioning is being demanded. It's all happening in the daytime. More solar, more solar, more solar. And so eventually you get this picture that it's free, it's cheap to make, you can put it anywhere, let's plug it into every substation. So I, I follow up on that. Uh, okay, Lysandra, you're right, we will go off here a bit. The issue of what percentage is solar generation as, as when you look at capacity in New Zealand? Yeah, what would that it's, be? It's it's just emerging. We we we're probably late to the game on solar because the government refused to give solar subsidies over the past ten years when other countries were were prepared to subsidize that that downward movement in price. New Zealand right. said, "No, we we're a free market. You guys have got to figure it out." And so we we kind of had to wait. And it's good that we did because now we can. We can go at it with vigor, but so, so, so far, we're only going to be a few percentage points of solar. There's, there's rooftop happening everywhere as well. I would think there's a, there's a point where solar ends up being, you know, 20% or thereabouts, but it's, but that's, that's New Zealand. And it's because we have such a great hydro resource on the South Island. So we, we don't need, we don't have the big problem that other places have. We just need to fill in the, and, and substitute for the fossil fuel and, and create enough energy to, you know, power all the electric cars that are coming. And one last part too on this, for you to do what you described, and which it sounds to me, would you deem that as distributed energy resources? Is that what you would define the, the work you're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. So my, my question to you is, what are the critical pieces that you need to enable you to do that, to, to, to formulate that type of distributed energy resource? Yeah. So, so this is, this is a very good question as well, because one of the things that we take advantage of now is we've got a fully open market. I can, I can put a solar farm outside of town and sell that power to the town folk without anybody getting in the way. Mm -hmm. I don't have to, I don't have to convince any regulator or any, or any, any politician that, that to agree with that. I just simply have to build the farm and find a customer and I can build them and get them to pay for it. And so, so having a, a really open and free market is really important. And, and, and then, and then the other thing is we have a, we have a notable price in here. We, we clear the, the half hour electricity price in 286 locations of the country. Every half an hour, there's 286 prices and those prices send all the signals we need to do economics and where to put plant and how much a customer should pay for it and how much the customer will save if we put a plant in a per particular location and, and so all that is transparent and open and everyone sees it and and i think that in it, those two things a free market customer choice and nodal pricing is really what's going to make you know, it's going to create that scenario where there is a solar farm in every every. Gary, those three components that you described that actually enables you to, to do that, many people would say, I don't want any one of those because it sounds too difficult. But you've just proven it actually can benefit. You can benefit by yeah, utilizing. absolutely. You, you could argue. You could argue it's it's essential. It's yeah. if you if you if you think of transition as technology 
and, and enabling, then what better way to enable technology than to let, you know, the population base make the choice. That's interesting. Yeah. You're talking about having solar farms and sort of distributed, but a lot of the people we deal with have, you know, maybe an industrial complex, a big data centre, and we data centers are a very good example because a lot of them have committed to be fully renewable. They have roof space and things like that. And I suppose what I'm after asking you about is what are the critical factors somebody should consider before looking at a sort of site scale solar project? You raise, you raise, a, you raise a, a really challenging question for for our for a business model based on solar because one of the things we we do is we look like if we find a customer that has a rooftop we 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 allow them to compare the cost of putting on a rooftop system with buying from a solar farm and and the way wow. we sell John the way we sell power here John is we 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 call it virtual rooftop we allow a customer wow. to actually take a physical allocation of 20 panels in a portion of a farm. Like if you, if you were a customer of mine, you could, if you were a customer of mine, you could say, I want to sign up and I'll tell you, well, the, you know, the 10 panels in the back corner are yours and and you'll get the pro share of that amount. And so we, we set this little competition up between rooftop and farm and then use the nodal pricing and the market signals to kind of do the do the pricing and and transfer of energy and I'll, i could go into a long story about how physically that makes sense but economically the customer just has this very simple decision do i put it on the roof or do i buy it in the farm and and we do have data center uh scenarios yeah. in new zealand and and we've we've worked out that to to, to provide enough energy for a data center you'd need a rooftop about 10 times bigger than they have. Yes. And so, <laughs> so they just, for us, all they need to do is allocate panels out in a farm that's like this imaginary rooftop that's 10 times bigger than their building. And then we make the transaction happen. And, 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 and then the last question, and some of your listeners would say, well, that's, that's kind of silly. How does the, how does the solar farm deliver at night? The data center needs power at night. The solar farm doesn't produce at night. What do you do? And what we do is we we actually give them about twice as much as they need in the daytime. So we allocate them panels that that would cover the volume of energy at night. But we use the market and the ability to put energy behind hydro dams and to store it in the market at large, maybe augment it with some batteries to to give them 100% of their annual demand, even though about 50% of it is nighttime. Wow. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Thank you. It's pretty creative. I'd say this is, this is probably the only place on earth where that's happening so far. Yeah, I think because so. You need, all, you need all those elements that I told you, you about. Too. But like we just did a deal with a company called The Warehouse. It's a retail you know, box store. It's a bit like Home Depot or whatever. They have 260 locations in the country. They're buying 100% of their annual demand scattered across 260 locations from three of our solar farms, all nodal price adjusted, all daytime, nighttime balance so that they get 100% of their demand offset by 
renewable credits from the solar farm. Well, now that is a different approach, and that's fascinating. Thank you. I think it's I think it's going to be the way. If, if you had a regulator with the right mindset, you yeah. you just open this little little door, and then free market will just seize the day and make it happen. Yeah, you know what, Gary? Like I I love free markets as long as they're allowed to be free and the politicians don't intervene to get involved. But you've just proven <laughs> that. You get the right markets, right set up properly, right signals. You, you can do the yeah. right thing. Yeah, my government work and lobbying that we do tends to be very brief. It's mostly just just get out of the way. Uh, <laughs> is the message is the is the key message? I like that. So, all our listeners, I think you should listen to what Gary was saying. How we have to go forward on this one. I think you've, you you you. I think you talked about this, but uh, I'll 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 just. Based on what you're saying, then, is really solar generation in New Zealand, is it more uh, utility scale makes more sense than like on someone's roof? Is that kind of... Yeah, I think, you know, one of the one of the problems with rooftop is every project's a little science project. Every, yeah. every single configuration has got to be designed bespoke for the building. And, and, it, and it's costly to do that. You got to mobilize teams. You got to get them up on the roof. You got to integrate with the 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 electricity system that the building has. We get out on a farm. We pop a piling into the ground every eleven minutes. We've got you know two hundred people installing panels. You know they can do a megawatt an hour, like it, like it, or a megawatt a week, and it just it just flies it can, by comparison. And so, so it's really hard when you do this matching of economics. The rooftop can't compete with the farm unless the distribution company gives it gives us some credit, and right. and that happens here in New Zealand. the The distribution companies say, "Look, if you embed some generation in our network, we'll save some money. We'll you know we'll we won't have to expand substations. We won't have to increase the capacity of lines as the population grows. So we're going to incent you to embed some generation." And so the way it, the way it's working in New Zealand now, when you combine a rooftop with the credit the distribution company gives them, it's pretty near being competitive with a farm, okay. which is kind of if you think about it, it's the perfect outcome because those that want to do the rooftop will, those that want to buy from a farm will. In fact, if you're clever, you could do both. You could you could be a data center with a bit of generation on your roof and fill in the blanks with the farm and and make up your own story that then you know if you can see all that happening then you know the market is is actually positively conspiring for the right outcome right now this is an area of solar generation i am especially interested in has the life cycle of solar generation been considered so things like the manufacturing of the panels the materials used in the panels the cleaning and recycling at the end of life of the panel yeah so we you know when you build utility scale solar farms you got to think about this a lot because you're you're amortizing the costs and trying to be as cheap and competitive on a, on a per unit basis as possible and so having as long a life as possible is critical and and so the the good there, there's sort of a top tier solar panel group in China that are making the very very best there's about four layers of quality in fact, if you're buying for your home, be very careful. You don't get the bottom layer of that quality chain because it might not last very long. But the top tier utility grade, they tend to be more expensive, obviously, but they do last 
you know, they warranty for 25 years, probably will last 35 or 40 years. So that that's step one is just get something that lasts a long time. And I think the, the, the next layer of it is how will recycling play out? And, and there are companies now that have figured this out. There, there's a great company in Texas who's going to lead the way on this, where they've figured they, they, they're, these are a bunch of former engineers who designed the manufacturing of solar panels. And so now they're turning their mind to undoing what they did in the manufacturing process. And they've effectively figured out how to delaminate the glass from the polysilicon wafer. Then the wafer gets shredded and, and, and broken down into silver, tin, aluminum, copper in its elemental state. And then you get a big bag of metal out the back that then gets sent back to the solar panel factory. And, and so, so I, I'm, I am, of all the things that, that people worry about with renewable energy, recycling solar panels should be the absolute least thing to worry about. All that really has to happen is if for it to be available in volume, 90% of the, of the stuff inside a solar panel can be recycled. It's just a matter of having the need and the volume and the factory that's big enough to, to pull it apart and put it back into the, the supply chain. So there will be a day 50 years from now where, you know, half the solar panels that people buy are made from recycled solar panels. It'll, it will, it will be very much a circular economy. It just takes time. And, and it's, mm. I don't know how to say it any better than just don't worry about it because it's going to happen. Well, thanks Gary for a great episode on solar generation. To end off this episode, what is the biggest takeaway for our listeners? Well, I think I think the the first you know we talked we talked about a, quite a lot in the area of deregulation and letting the market work and letting you know government getting out of the way, letting willing parties find each other and getting the rules to allow that to happen. That's that's kind of a to me that's a fundamental thing. Otherwise, you end up getting governments who just you know because they can't figure it out, they just put up blockages and moratoriums and stop things and cause, cause things to, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the things we didn't talk about that I'll just add right now is it, it takes quite a lot for a society to embrace something. And if you think about what I'm saying here in New Zealand, I'm expecting customers to choose something. I'm expecting them to either pick a rooftop system or buy from a farm or some combination of that. The only way that people get the confidence to make those decisions is if they hear the positivity of it. They hear it from politicians. They hear it from, you know, every utility company is saying, hey, buy my panel or buy my contract or, you know, buy from my farm. It, it, it needs to kind of catch fire. And it's a little bit like electric cars. I don't believe electric cars will catch fire until all the car companies are, are telling people the truth that, you know, electricity is like 15 cent a liter fuel. As soon as, as soon as people start to hear the positivity, then choices will be made. And as soon as you can't stop choice, you know, as soon as you unleash the market, you know, you just can't stop it. As soon as, as soon as you can give someone a free download of music, they're not going to buy CDs anymore. And I just think it's just the way that the way that it has to happen with solar is right from the very top. It has to be seen as just a really cool idea for people to get engaged in. And then the regulators and utilities have to, you know, get the rules in place to make it happen. So that's my biggest takeaway is if you have any role to play in 
in enabling either a rule or promotion of a good idea, then you should do so because that's, that's how to make it happen. Thanks for that, Gary. Dave, what's your biggest takeaway? I commented based on what Gary had suggested that nodal pricing, transparent pricing, and then options to uh, choose something different or better for you. Like you always have options. Uh, like th those three things, again, and if we said that to people in North America, they go, oh, that's too confusing. No, I don't want to do that. But what Gary's kind of conveyed to me is, boy, you should embrace it because as a customer, you will have better choices that serve what you want versus what other people may want to give you. And so like you just reinforced, Gary, in my view, that this transparency and allowing the market and allowing truly a market to happen can bring very positive results. And obviously it's happening for you in New Zealand. John, what's your biggest takeaway? Well, I think my biggest takeaway is kicked off by the virtual rooftop. And then the idea that solar at scale is a better deal than piecemeal little installations. And I think that is really something we should think about because we see a lot of people domestically sticking panels on their roof. We see a, a, quite a few uh, organisations. They want the green cred of having panels on their roof, but maybe a virtual rooftop is a far better solution. Thanks for that. All right. Thanks, Dave, John, and Gary for your time. Have a great day. Yeah, it's been Thank good. you, everyone. Thank Gary. You. Thanks, Thanks, Gary. It was good to meet you guys. Uh, it's good. You're doing good work there. That's all for today's episode of the 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on our website at 360energy.net and follow us on LinkedIn at 360 Energy Inc. Tune in to our podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, or other listening platforms by searching the 360 on Energy and Carbon. You can watch the video recording and subscribe on YouTube at 360 Energy Inc. Email us your feedback at podcast at 360energy.net or comment on our LinkedIn posts. See you next week.